building this morning. I've heard a couple of crying babies, and i got to tell you, I love that. Okay, and So if you've been here for a while, you've probably heard my heart on this, but I just want to share with you, uh, you don't ever have to feel bad if you, have a, if, if you have a child that's crying in service, okay? Because here's the truth. One day I'm going to be dead, and your kids are going to be the church. So I love to hear a crying baby, okay? So don't, don't worry about it. Don't feel self-conscious. Don't feel like you have to run and get up and leave. You're not going to distract me. Everything's going to be fine. You're not going to distract the person sitting next to you. It's okay. So don't worry about it, all right? Uh, That being said, this is our second week in a sermon series entitled Cleverly Invented Stories. Title comes from 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 16. Peter says this about the message about the message that he and the other apostles preach. He says, We do not follow cleverly invented stories when we made known to you the power and the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Last week, we looked at what the message of the gospel is. And I'm just going to summarize it briefly in case you weren't able to join us last week. But this is the message of the gospel that Peter and the rest of the apostles were preaching. Here it is. Jesus gives us new life, and our new lives are about leading, to peop- leading people to Jesus for the glory of Jesus. Jesus gives us new life, and our new lives are about leading people to Jesus for the glory of Jesus. Do you see any words that appear more than once in that passage? I'll give you a hint. It starts with J and ends with Jesus. Okay? It's kind of an important theme in this message of the Gospel. Let me say it a different way. Our salvation is just step one in God's plan for our lives. His next step is to turn us into men and women who will lead people to Jesus. By the way, that's the spirit of our 10 challenge. You notice in your bulletin, you've seen a number 10 at the bottom. The idea was that we wanted to see 10 different people baptize somebody this year. It's not about... It's not about reducing people to a number. It's about introducing people to Jesus and about equipping all of us for our God-given mission. And I don't know if you noticed, there's no 10 in your bulletin this week. Did anybody notice that? Yeah. A good friend of ours, Mike Leach, was baptized at camp this past week by Luke. So let's give a big round of applause for New Life. The true gospel is that Jesus gives us new lives, and our new lives are about introducing people to Jesus for the glory of Jesus. Where does that message start? Somebody say Jesus. What's in the middle of that message? Jesus. (laughs) Where does that message end? Jesus. See a pattern there? The message of the gospel is about Jesus. The problem that Peter faced was that there were a lot of people who were preaching, but not preaching the gospel. 2 Peter chapter 2 starts this way, but false prophets, false prophets also arose among the people. They will cleverly teach you destructive heresies and even deny the master who bought them bringing swift destruction upon themselves. False teachers existed in the early church. 
False teachers existed in the early church, and false teachers are going to be around for as long as we wait on the Lord's return. So how do we recognize those destructive false teachers? How do we recognize men and women who are sharing a false gospel, and how do we recognize men and women who are sharing the gospel message of salvation through Jesus Christ? That's a question we want to answer today, and uh, we're going to do so by contrasting 2 Peter chapter 1 and chapter 2, and I want to start with a story. This comes from a book called 24-6. It's written by a doctor named Matthew Sleeth. And so here's, here's what he writes. He says, six of us stood around a translucent, illuminated x-ray viewing screen. We were third-year medical students, and our overall knowledge of the basic science would never be better. We'd learned anatomy, pathology, physiology, and pharmacology. We knew everything about medicine in theory. Now we were ready for our first lesson in radiology. So we took a deep breath, we squared our shoulders, and we stared at the front and side views of the chest x-ray on the screen. You see anything amiss, the radiologist asked? Quiet. Well, if you don't see anything wrong, does anyone care to comment on what's right? Still more quiet. All right, let's start with the basics. What can you tell me about the sex of the patient? And so he began teaching us the fundamentals of reading an x-ray. It was a she, 20 to 40 years of age. The diaphragm was normal. The heart was not enlarged. No infections could be seen in the lungs. We couldn't see any tumors. After half an hour of tutelage, we were, we were getting the hang of this radiology thing. Then our professor began with some less obvious questions. Has she ever had chest trauma? Vacant stares. Does the patient have a partially collapsed lung? forgot to look for that. Lynn, the smallest and one of the pluckiest of us, interrupted the silence with the next best thing to an intelligent answer and said, what's the history? Good question. Cough for a few days, no fever, no chills, no weight loss or gain, no night sweats. Nothing in the patient's history suggested anything other than a garden variety cold. Then we were asked to consider more subtle matters. Is she right or left-handed? What kind of work does she do? Maybe there was a reason that this fellow chaired the Department of Radiology. We asked one another these questions. And uh, though we didn't know, we thought of every kind of obscure disease that we'd studied over the past several years. For fleeting moments, each of us saw evidence of various maladies. And finally, the x-ray held no secrets. Is there anything else, or did we get it all? The radiologist asks. An hour's worth of looking had confirmed what our textbook said was the hardest kind of x-ray to be certain of, a normal one. We'd gotten the point. A lesson had been learned. Our teacher moved to put the films away. We looked at one another with newfound confidence. We've gone from being mute to being able to describe subtleties. If we'd, if we'd had better hand-eye coordination, we'd have given each other high fives. As we turned toward lunch, our mentor spoke one last time. The film was read in, in, by the doctor in charge of the emergency department last night and the radiology resident on call last night and the one this morning, and they all agreed with you. A normal x-ray. But I called the patient to tell her that I think she has cancer. 
We forgot about lunch and turned back to the x-rays. Again, we stared at the films but couldn't see any evidence of cancer, and we tried to talk ourselves into it. We looked and looked, but to no avail. I'll give you a hint, he said. It's not something that's there. It's something that's missing. Even with this clue, we came up blank, and we really tried. We pointed to one thing after another, but each time the radiologist would shake his head no. Someone's stomach rumbled, and We were tired, we were hungry, and we had to admit defeat. And our teacher mercifully gave us the answer in his final question. Where is the left clavicle? Where was the left clavicle? It was missing. We hadn't seen it because it wasn't there. The patient's collarbone had been eaten away, almost certainly by cancer. See, the doctor ultimately found the problem by contrasting what was supposed to be there with what was actually there. That's our goal for today. We're going to see what's supposed to be in the gospel message of salvation and what's actually there. And in doing so, we'll find who's preaching the message of Jesus as Lord and who isn't. So if you would, open up your Bibles, Bibles to 2 Peter chapter 2, and we're just going to read. 2 Peter chapter 2, starting in verse 1, says, But there were also false prophets in Israel, just as there will be false teachers among you. They will cleverly teach destructive heresies and even deny the master who bought them. In this way, they will bring sudden destruction on themselves. Many will follow their evil teaching and shameful immorality, and because of these teachers, the way of the truth will be slandered. In their greed, they will make up clever lies to get hold of your money, but God condemned them long ago, and their destruction will not be delayed. For God did not spare even the angels who sinned. He threw them into hell in gloomy pits of darkness where they are being held until the day of judgment. And God did not spare the ancient world except for Noah and the seven others in his family. Noah warned the world of God's righteous judgment, so God protected Noah when he destroyed the world of ungodly people with a vast flood. Later, God condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah and turned them into heaps of ashes. He, he made them an example of what will happen to ungodly people. But God also rescued Lot out of Sodom because he was a righteous man who is sick of the shameful immorality of the wicked people around him. Yes, Lot was a righteous man who was tormented in his soul by the wickedness he saw and heard day after day. So you see, the Lord knows how to rescue godly people from their trials even while keeping the wicked under punishment until the day of final judgment. He is especially hard on those who follow their own twisted sexual desires and who despise authority. These people are proud and arrogant, daring even to scoff at supernatural beings without so much as trembling. But the angels who are far greater in power and strength do not dare to bring from the Lord a charge of blasphemy against those supernatural beings. These false teachers are like unthinking animals, creatures of instinct born to be caught and destroyed. They scoff at the things they do not understand and like animals, they will be destroyed. Their destruction is their reward from the harm that they have done. They love to indulge in evil pleasures in broad daylight. They are a disgrace and a stain among you. They delight in deception. Even as they eat with you in your fellowship meals, they commit adultery with their eyes, and their desire for sin is never satisfied. They lure unstable people into sin, and they're well-trained in greed. 
They live under God's curse. They have wandered off the right road and followed the footsteps of Balaam, son of Beor, who loved to earn money by doing wrong. But Balaam was stopped from his mad course when his donkey rebuked him with a human voice. These people are as useless as dried up springs or as a mist blown away by the wind. They are doomed to blackest darkness. They brag about themselves with empty, foolish boasting. With an appeal to twisted sexual desires, they lure back into sin those who have barely escaped from a lifestyle of deception. They promise freedom, but they themselves are slaves of sin and corruption, for you are a slave to whatever controls you. And when people escape from the wickedness of the world by knowing our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and then get tangled up and enslaved by sin again, they're worse off than they were before. It'd be better if they had never known the way to righteousness than to know it and then reject the command they were given to live a holy life. They prove the truth of this proverb. A dog returns to its vomit. And another says a washed pig returns to the mud. It's kind of a upbeat passage, isn't it? Leaves everybody feeling happy about the work of the Lord, right? Doesn't paint a very happy picture, does it? You know, as we read this text, as we hear this text describe false teachers and people who don't share the gospel appropriately, it's really easy. There's this temptation in our minds to read it through the lens of a specific person. How many of you have heard a name Jesse Duplantis recently? Anybody heard of Jesse Duplantis recently? Well, he's kind of become internet famous. Uh, he is a uh, televangelist. And recently, maybe some of you will recognize the story after I tell you the rest of it. Recently, Jesse Duplantis has asked his supporters to give him $65 million so that he can buy an airplane and travel the world with less refueling stops. Makes sense, right? We're not going to be taking up an offering for that. Okay? Uh, I, don't, I don't think that's right. But here's what I'm driving at. It's really easy to read this passage through the lens of what someone else is doing wrong. But that's dangerous because we're always going to be able to find someone who's farther from God than we are. There's always someone who's closer to God than we are. See, when we, when we judge ourselves next to somebody else, we conveniently pick somebody who we perceive to be farther from God. See, I'm doing better than this guy. Nobody ever judges themselves next to an elder. Why is that? We have to be able to read this text and realize that we need to judge ourselves against this standard as well. It's easy to hear this sermon about false teachers and think of someone else. Some of you are sitting there right now wondering, I wonder if Tony's a false teacher. It's a fair question. I think you should ask it. But never forget, never forget that the way each of us live our lives should teach people about Jesus. See what I said there? The way that each of us live our lives should teach people about Jesus so if you're going to ask, am I a false teacher? You also need to ask, are you a false teacher? I'm so grateful for our mission team that went down to Texas and taught people about the life of Jesus. It's appropriate to discern whether or not the people you listen to are sharing a false message. 
but we also have to make sure that we evaluate ourselves with the same level of scrutiny. That being said, there are a lot of false teachers out there today, and I want to give us some insight as to how we might identify them and might identify their message. All right, this is our study in contrast. By the way, uh, in your outline, for the rest of the outline, you're going to see uh, the words true and false and then fill in the blank. The only thing I want you to write next to true is the scripture reference that I'm going to give you for true and then the scripture reference I'm going to give you for false. Uh, you can use this uh, for Bible study throughout the week if you want to do that. Um, this is just going to give you some more insights into the contrast we're going to display today. So how do we identify a false teacher? First of all, the message of a false teacher comes from a different source. The message of a false teacher comes from a different source. In chapter 1, Peter says, we're not making up clever stories. We weren't making up clever stories when we told you about the powerful coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We saw his majestic splendor with our own eyes. That's 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 16. So you can go ahead and write that on your outline there. 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 16. Do we have a slide for that or no? No? Okay. Now, uh, look at what he says in chapter 2 about false teachers. This is 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 3. In their greed, they will make up clever lies to get hold of your money. But God condemned them long ago, and their destruction will not be delayed. You see any difference there? A sincere teacher is going to share what they've seen and heard, or in our case, what we've read and become convinced of about the work of God in our lives. But a false teacher is going to do whatever it takes they said they're going to come up with clever lies to get hold of your money. They're going to do whatever it takes, and that gets ugly quickly. They'll sacrifice the truth for the sake of their message, and that's a bad place to start. But it only goes downhill from there. They're going to emotionally exploit for personal gain. And even worse, they'll get to the point where they're targeting the hurting for their gain. They'll pray in the weak using pain to their advantage. By the way, that's what Peter describes in verse 14 when he says, they lure the unstable person into sin. Or more literally, they entice unstable souls. The message of a false teacher comes from a different source. It's not rooted in the Bible. Okay, So if we're going to preach the real, true gospel of Jesus Christ as Lord, it's going to start right here because this is what God wants us to know. But if we're going to preach a false gospel, it's not going to start here. It's going to start here with my own selfish desire so that I can get you to give me what I want. The message of a false preacher comes from a different place. It comes from a different source. It's also a different message. The message of a false teacher is a different message. Earlier we said that the message of a sincere teacher starts with Jesus. It has Jesus in the middle, and it ends with Jesus. I want you to look at this contrast. 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3. By his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. We've received all of this by coming to know him, the one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. The one who called us to himself, that's Jesus. 
He's the central focus of the gospel. Here's our contrast. Chapter 2, verse 1. But there were also false prophets in Israel, just as there will be false teachers among you. They will cleverly teach destructive heresies and even deny the master who bought them. In this way, they'll bring sudden destruction on themselves. The message of the gospel focuses on Jesus. But a false teacher will deny him. Now, denying Jesus sounds like a pretty obvious thing. Right? It it sounds like somebody says, hey, have you ever heard of Jesus? Nope. Never heard of him. That's not quite how it goes. Of course it can be. Uh, But it's preaching a message of salvation that doesn't include Jesus as Savior. And that's tricky because here's here's what's going to happen. A false teacher is going to use the name of Jesus a lot. They're going to use the name of Jesus a lot. It's rare for somebody in church to openly deny Jesus. Movement away from the focus of Jesus is subtle. The false teacher is going to speak about how other people can help change your life. How our traditions can help change our lives. But if we listen carefully to what they're saying, we'll see that Jesus is not essential to their message. It comes from a different place. It comes from a different place. It's a different message. Here's the third contrast. The message of a false teacher leaves you in a different place. The message of a false teacher leaves you in a different place. Here's what I mean. Chapter 1, verse 4. Because of his glory and excellence, he's given us great and precious promises. These promises that enable you to share his divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. The power of God enables us to escape the world's corruption. Right? We, we talked about this last week. We're able to climb the ladder with God's help so that we can ultimately work on our moral purity, and begin to come back down the ladder on the other side and minister to people who live in a hurting world free from our addictions and our sinful desires. We're no longer slaves to sins. We are children of God unleashed to minister for His namesake and His glory in a fallen world. That's what the power of God does. It helps us escape the world's corruption. The gospel frees us so that we can minister to the enslaved. But a false gospel does something completely different. It promises freedom. These teachers promise freedom, but they themselves are slaves of sin and corruption. That's uh, chapter 2 and verse 19, by the way, if you're taking notes. The true believer is escaping corruption while the counterfeit is mastered by corruption. Right? So that's where, it, that's where the difference is. The message of a false teacher leaves you in a different place. I'm going to do this next one quickly. The message of a false teacher comes from a different character. It comes from a different character. A sincere teacher pursues moral excellence, knowledge, self-control, patient endurance, godliness, brotherly affection, and love for everyone. Uh, chapter 1, verses 5 through 7, if you're taking notes. But look at the, look at the contrast of the false teacher. Chapter 2 and verse 10, these people are proud and arrogant. They're daring even to scoff at supernatural beings without so much as trembling. They are proud and arrogant. 
Not a lot of moral excellence, knowledge, self-control, patient endurance, godliness, brotherly affection, or love there. I want to ask you uh, a question for each of us on a personal level. Again, don't think of Jesse Duplantis as you answer this question. I want you to think of you. Jesus said that we are to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength and love our neighbors as ourselves, right? And and he says that the, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self control, right? So, would those be the first things that someone thinks of when they hear your name? Would those be the first things that someone think of? when they hear your name? I can't answer that question for you, but if I answer that question for myself, too often the answer is no. It's not. Here's the last one. The message of a false teacher, it makes a different appeal. And take a look at the false teacher, right? No, we're going to do this one backwards. So the first one we're going to hear is uh, the negative side. Okay, chapter 2 and verse 18. They brag about themselves with empty, foolish boasting, with an appeal to twisted sexual desires. They lure back into sin those who have barely escaped from a lifestyle of deception. Peter says that they make an appeal to twisted sexual desires, but it goes deeper than that. A false teacher will say anything he needs to, anything his audience wants to hear. Maybe it sounds like, go ahead. That didn't really sin. Or maybe if we want to go old school on it, did God really say, did God really say that you're not allowed to eat that fruit? False teacher appeals to whatever it is that we want to hear. Maybe, maybe the appeal is your lifestyle's fine just the way it is. The Bible doesn't say that same sex attraction is a bad thing. Did God really say that? Or, or maybe, maybe rampant workaholism is actually masquerading around as nobility. Or ultra-patriotism doesn't become an idol. Did God really say that any of those things are bad? In fact, He'll say whatever we need to hear. Whatever we want to hear to make us comfortable with our lives without Jesus. The false teacher is going to say whatever we want to hear. The sincere teacher will appeal to the Bible. Here's what chapter 1 and verse 19 says. Because of that experience, we have ever greater confidence in the message proclaimed by the prophets. You must pay close attention to what they wrote See the difference there? You must pay close attention to what they wrote more so than what I'm saying. Because if you're paying attention to what they wrote, then you'll know if what I'm saying is right or wrong. It comes from a different source. It makes a different appeal. A sincere teacher is going to point you to the Word of God because it's there that God can change us. It's here that God will change us. 
right? The Word of God is living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It cuts to the division of both joint and marrow, soul and spirit. It judges the thoughts and intentions of the heart. The Word of God can change us. My words are just words. Now, some of you are going, well, wait a minute, Tony, hold on a second. I listened to your sermon from last week. You said that Bible knowledge isn't the ultimate goal. I very, very distinctly remember you saying that, Tony. Bible knowledge isn't the ultimate goal. You're right, it's not the ultimate goal. Life change in Jesus is the ultimate goal, but golly, Bible knowledge sure is helpful along the way. Let me illustrate it this way. I want to lose some weight. It's one of my goals for this year. I want to lose some weight. I want to lose 20 pounds. Praise God, only 25 to go. Okay? And so I, I, I do some reading. I do some reading. I, I study. Uh, I, I learn about healthy lifestyles. I learn that eating cakes, cookies, pies, candies, not very helpful as you want to lose weight. Does having that knowledge do anything for me if I don't apply it? I can know that eating an entire German chocolate cake in one sitting is bad for me. But if I still do it, the knowledge isn't all that helpful. Let me apply it to our faith. I can know that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and the only way for me to have a restored relationship with God, but if I never do anything about it, it will not change my life. Jesus desperately wants to change my life every day. Jesus wants to change your life too. He wants to give us a new life, free from our bondage to slavery and sin and empowered with a holy purpose. I want to encourage you to let Jesus change your life today. Let Jesus change your life today. He's the only one who can. If you need to, it starts by believing that he can. It starts by believing that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God who came to earth, who lived a life free from sin and died a death he didn't deserve, paying the penalty of the sin that I am enslaved to, taking that punishment for me, taking that punishment so far as to being buried in the ground for it. And it continues by believing that the punishment of sin was not strong enough to hold Jesus back. That, that three days later, He arose victorious from the grave, alive, righteous and holy and is now at this very moment moment seated at the right hand of the throne of God ready to intercede for us on our behalf ready to forgive us if only we'll ask will you ask today will you ask for forgiveness today if that's what you need if you need life change will you ask today will you let him change your life that's where it starts. It continues right over there. It continues right over there as we admit that I am not good enough. I need life change. I need Jesus to change my life because I'm a sinner. I'm enslaved to sin. It starts there as we participate, or it continues there as we participate in Jesus' life, His death, 
His burial and His resurrection. And just as Jesus rose from the dead through the glory and the power of the Father, so He too will give us a new life if we submit to Him in baptism. If you need life change today, I think you should do it. I think you should let Jesus change your life because He's the only one who can. In a minute, I'm going to pray for us. And I'll be praying especially especially for any of you who might need life change today. Now, we began by asking the question, how do we know the false teacher from the sincere teacher? That's a question important for each of us to ask if we've been in church for 50 years or five minutes because the reality is we can be affected by the message of a false teacher and become false teachers ourselves. So how do we understand the difference between a false teacher and someone who's preaching the gospel? We spend our time looking at the differences between chapter 1 and chapter 2. And as we did that, I was reminded of the story of the x-ray. The diagnosis wasn't made based on what was there. It was made on what was missing. The same is true when we try to discern a false teacher. They're going to sound awfully good. They're going to look awfully good. But it's not about what's there. It's about what's missing. And the thing that's missing in a false teacher is a heart for God. And ultimately, the only one who can show us that is God. So be discerning. Be discerning. Always check what I say against Scripture. Always check what you read against your Bible. But always, always, always trust God and pursue a deeper faith and relationship with Him. And if you do that, He'll let you know what's right, and He'll let you know what's wrong. Let me pray. God, please help us to trust You. Please give us discernment to understand Your truth in a world full of cleverly invented stories, in a world full of stories that sound awful good and are just missing little details. Please transform us into Your image so that the lessons we teach with our lives are your lessons. And God, for anybody who needs to experience your new life, forgiveness, freedom, and be given that divine purpose that you grant, would you give them courage to come forward today? Would you give them courage to confess you as Lord? Decide to turn away from their sins and be baptized for their forgiveness and the empowering of Holy Spirit? Would you give them courage to decide that today? I pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen.